Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a man that said, I am so struggling with my feelings. Carol, what can I do about this? And so I reached out to the community to talk about what do men do when they want to work through shame, guilt, embarrassment, humiliation. You know, because we all know that when triggered, uh, that's exactly what can happen. Men go into a spiral. And that spiral can take them down. And it can, in many ways, set them up for more acting out. And that is absolutely the last thing that we want. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen. She's AKA Carol the Coach. And, you know, I want to help men deal with their feelings because it is not healthy to stay stuck in shame. It's not healthy to let guilt take you down. Now, the truth of the matter is, You all know that guilt can be a healthy emotion, right? And it tells you that you did something wrong, and it keeps you from doing it again. That's what guilt should do. It should prevent you from doing it again. And so many of you acted out and and told yourself after you acted out, I will never, ever do this again. And what ended up happening is that you walked away from the situation. Maybe it was a prostitute. Maybe it was a massage parlor. Maybe it was a web chat. And 20 minutes later, two hours later, two days later, you were back at it. And we really want you out of that cycle. 
because you probably felt guilty, but then it moved to shame. And shame is when you believe you're a bad person. Now, I got a lot of men that spiral into shame, and that creates more acting out. So it is a shame cycle. And so I thought today we would talk about some of the more common feelings that feed into um, maladaptive coping strategies, feed into unhealthy relationships, that feed into more excuses to act out. And like I said, I reached out to the community and I, I said, hey, does anybody want to talk about guilt, shame, embarrassment, humiliation? And, and then I added a few more. I added, for the sake of understanding feelings, resentment, anger, defensiveness. into a woman who said, there are so many times I want revenge. I get so mad that I want revenge. I want to hurt him. Well, that makes sense from a partner standpoint, but today we're going to be talking about it from an addict standpoint. And so you know 12-step work really helps process feelings of defensiveness and resentfulness. Um, It's one of the most positive things that can happen out of that step four process. And so hopefully you are in some type of support group that really does help process this feeling. But we really encourage you to think about your life today as you're listening to the show and ask yourself, you know, what do I do about resentments? What do I do when I get defensive? Because, of course, in looking at your feelings, you have to be able to then decide how you're going to use them to get stronger, right? Now, one of the things that I absolutely know men and women can get flooded with feelings, right? They really can. And when they do, it's really important to see if you can't identify them singularly. So that if you're feeling anger, rage, defensiveness, and um, resentment, for instance, that you pick out the primary feeling. You know, I go with five typically, and that's anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness. But if we're going to talk about defensiveness today, I would be asking you what types of things make you feel defensive? Who in your life can make you feel defensive? You know, I'm creating a shame resiliency course for addicts, and one of the things I really believe is that when they're doing a good job in their recovery and somebody challenges them, 
it's easy to move right into that defensiveness. And let's face it, defensiveness takes away from the real goal, which is accepting occurring between you and whoever is making you feel defensive. So if you think about those kinds of things, you know, when are you most likely to get defensive? Is it with an angry boss who challenges your work performance or your ethics? Is it with your spouse when you don't do something right or perfect? Is it with your family when they compare you to somebody else in the family? What kinds of things make you feel defensive? Um, And what can you do to absolutely... Work through that so that you don't take it personally. You know, I have that um, special chapter in the Help Her Heal book that's about uh, conflict. And you don't have to have a partner to practice these principles. There are seven. And I think they're pretty helpful, to be honest, in terms of putting things back in perspective. So I call them the seven principles of conflict, right? And it's something to remind yourself of as you begin to get defensive and you begin to feel conflict either within yourself or with somebody else. So when you begin to find yourself getting defensive, if it's about the sex addiction itself, I want you to ask yourself, how have you contributed to to the problem, to the conflict with somebody else, you know? And then the trick is to say, okay, I, I contributed to it because, I want him or her to see my changes. And I got defensive because they're not, they're not buying into them. Remember, though, that 90% of anybody questioning you is really about your past. It's not about who you are today. And then make sure to hold yourself accountable for the past without going into shame and reminding yourself that although you have that tarnished past, it is not who you are today. So that's step one, two, and three of this conflict uh, process that will help you not feel defensive. Now also, recognize that you're strong enough to handle anybody's self-doubts about you, that that's part of your recovery. 
and that you're going to be the new and improved. You're not going to go into defensiveness. You're not going to go into shame. You're not going to go into rage because the recovered person understands why somebody else would doubt you. Recognize that you're stronger than you than you would typically give yourself credit. Point number five is, how do you remind yourself that the issue that someone has with you and your recovery is not really about you? It's a normal response to self-doubt. People get very fearful, and they don't want to get duped again, and so they'll challenge you and want to bring out the defensiveness. So step number six is to say, this is not about who I am today. And recognizing that that's about the consequences of who you were, but you were the new and improved. And lastly, you tell yourself, I won't give my past guilt and shame the power to make me feel defensive or inadequate or insecure. You're not going to give your power away. And when you remind yourself of that, you have practiced the seven principles of conflict and you've avoided defensiveness. And that really is what it's all about. It's about having control of your emotions. So I am so excited to be interviewing Andre. Andre is really working his 12-step programs. He's giving great advice. He has helped many, many men work through their feelings. And so when I heard he was willing to talk about defensiveness, I said, yeah, let's help addicts worldwide know how to um, deal with defensiveness. That's a natural response. Work through it uh, and process it into perhaps some other feelings that will it will support their recovery. So, Andre, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you this morning? I'm doing good, Carol. How are you? I am excellent, and I'm just so thankful. I have a lot of gratitude for you being willing to talk about defensiveness because it's one of those emotions that can take you down, and then if you're dealing with somebody else, it can take the relationship down. So let me just ask you, what are some things that make you feel defensive? Um. I, I normally become defensive when I feel like somebody is intentionally trying to hurt me emotionally. Um, also, when someone is verbally attacking, you know, people I care about. Okay. And so, you know, as a recovering addict, that can occur in a lot of places with a lot of people. And so can you give an example of a time when – defensiveness came up for you? Um, just right off the top of my head, dealing with recovery. Um, uh, I, I think I was somewhere not knowing where I was at. Maybe it was an area or, you know, the area I was in was triggering to my partner. She had my location. Um, she called, 
and asked me, you know, what was I doing? Where was I at? And um, instead of just, you know, sharing with me uh, what it really was about, you know, she kind of tap danced around what she really wanted to get at. And, you know, I was irritated by that because I knew what she was trying to get at, but I wanted her to say it. And um, then I, I was kind of upset that she didn't trust me. Um, so that was that was easy for me to get defensive. And, uh, you know, so I told her, you know, hey, you know, I, I wouldn't do that, you know. Why would you think that? So that was a time that I think I, I um, got defensive, you know, easily can let in the gaslighting too for me making her think that she was crazy. Well, that makes sense. And so tell our listening audience what you believe gaslighting to be. Um, I think I feel like sometimes we don't, we don't intentionally do it. You know, sometimes we definitely uh, do it when we're in uh, active addiction, but when we're in recovery, it can, it can sometimes be a defense mechanism. Um, and it, it's making the other person think that you're not capable of doing something or that they're crazy for thinking the way that they're thinking. Yeah, I know an active addiction when an addict will gaslight a partner, a family member, whatever, um, they really kind of turn the tables around and make them doubt themselves for even having had the concern, the question, or the feeling. And then in many ways do it so effectively that, the partner or the person starts to doubt their own self and wonders if they're going crazy. Um, I remember an addict who got an STD and went home and, and started challenging his wife and saying, how long have you been cheating on me? How could this have happened? I don't even want to stay with you. And really accused her of, giving him the STD, not because he really thought that's where he'd gotten it, but because he knew that that would keep her off the track of his own infidelity. And she began to wonder if she could have carried an STD for four years prior to them getting married, if it could have occurred with a previous partner. And, and when she did the research, she found out that, no, she would have shown signs and symptoms and so here was a situation where when he disclosed all the information about his addiction when he really wanted to get healthy and honest he then admitted to her I made that whole thing up so that you would doubt yourself and your sanity and to keep you from knowing the horrible things I was doing in our relationship and he did that with defensiveness now Mm -hmm. I know that you really are talking about normal defensiveness, defensiveness that just comes up when you're being challenged or doubted because of your past, not because of your current status, correct? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, you typically go into shame, don't you, when, when you're feeling defensive? Yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely do because um you know, as as crazy as it sounds, it's it's a safe place for me to go to when I'm not willing to accept the truth. Okay, say a little more about that. 
Uh, well, you know, when you go into shame, obviously, you know, the the topic um, that you're being confronted with, you know, it's going to bring some shame sometimes. And you're not going to feel safe, especially if you're being confronted by somebody you hurt. So in order for you to, you know, get to a safe place, you can go to that shame. Because if you're given mm-hmm. empathy for, if you're given empathy for someone that you've hurt, and they're maybe saying things that are hurtful to you, then that's really a vulnerable situation, you know, saying that most addicts do not like to be in. So an easy way out of that is to go into shame. Um, so, which will become defensive and flip it, you know, flip it to a time that they've hurt you or to do something to really just deflect the situation. Okay, and would you describe shame as you know it for you personally? Um, shame is is a, a cocktail of emotions for me because it can lead me to sadness, anger, uh, hopelessness. And um, as a result of that, you know, I don't have uh, any empathy for anyone when I'm in shame because I'm not focused on what I did wrong or who's hurt by what I did. I'm focused on me only, you know, my feelings. And it's all about me. I'm self-absorbed by every single emotion that I'm feeling. And that's the only thing that I'm concerned about at that time. Okay. And, and when you feel shame, what kinds of thoughts about you come up? Um. Oh. All my insecurities, you know, uh, I'm not good enough. Um, this person's going to leave. Uh, I'll never make anyone happy. You know, I'm always going to fail. I'll never be successful. Uh, I'll never, I'll never know how to, how to really love people. Okay. And and certainly, for addicts, many addicts have had childhood woundings that contribute to that shame, which, of course, contributes to defensiveness. Um, And so I'm curious as to what tools you actually use to stay out of defensiveness and to stay out of shame. Um, Well, the tool I use to handle defensiveness is I ask myself, um, you know, did this conversation make me mad? You know, what was I mad about? Um, also, is the person, what were they really trying to say? You know, because that helps a lot. Um, people aren't always vulnerable when they're approaching you with a topic that makes them uncomfortable. Um, and they have a tendency to avoid the main question they, they want to ask and have sub-questions. So I have, to, I have to really have myself that talk and process those things. And, and your program whether it's 12-step or religious, what do they, what do, how do they help you process defensiveness? Uh, well, they hold me accountable. And uh, normally when I'm approached with situations that, are, that I'm not certain of, um, you know, I normally reach out a lot and get other guys' inputs because when I get inside my own head, then I'm only thinking one way and one perspective. So, um when I reach out and talk to other friends and guys in the fellowship who are able to speak to me in truth and in grace, um, that helps me see things differently. Okay. Would you say just a little bit more about that? 
Well, normally, if I'm upset about something or I'm in defense mode, um, it's really real to me, and the feelings that I'm feeling are really intense behind that um, because it's my situation. Now, when I go to another guy who, you know, may be in a good place for that day and who's not affected by the situation I am, like like I'm affected by it, then he's able to approach it with a lot more sober and calm um, approach. And that, in terms, helps his thought process be a little bit better and helps me get to a better place and a better thought. Yeah, and you've done a lot of reading. Um, are there any books that you would recommend that help men deal with resentments, defensiveness, shame, those kinds of things? Um, yeah, I think uh, Unwanted by Jay Stringer is a good book. Um, it, it really helps validate a lot of the thoughts that um, that a lot of us men have. Um and it helps you understand, you know, the fantasies and, you know, the, the crazy thoughts that we have. And he's not saying that they're okay, but he's validating you and know, saying, hey, it's normal. It's, it's a warning sign of letting you know that something's going on and something needs to be addressed instead of, hey, I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm damaged, nobody wants me. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to have Jay Stringer on the show, and his Unwanted book is absolutely amazing. And Part of the reason it resonates with so many addicts is because he talks about his own trauma and wounding that he experienced as a child. Would you feel comfortable sharing any of your wounding that you had? Uh, I would say one of, I think, probably my my mom being um, paranoid schizophrenia growing up. Um, the first time I seen the episode, it was it was pretty traumatic for me, and I didn't know how it affected me because we just dealt with it. You know, I had me and my brothers, and we, um, you know, obviously we coped with it, and we handled it and took care of her when things went south. But as I got older, I noticed how it affected my relationships with um, not just friends but other women. Um, being disengaged when things got hard, or you know, checking out emotionally. Uh, being being scared and not handling it with vulnerability, but handling handling it with anger, uh, not having any empathy for for a lot of people at all because I've never seen genuine empathy because you know um, schizophrenia when when they have that the chemical imbalance they don't they're not themselves so you know you can genuinely be talking to them and they don't care what you're saying. You know, they don't care if you're crying in front of them. They don't, they don't care because they're not them. Well, you're exactly right. And, and, and not only do they not care, but they don't have the capacity to put the, the relational feelings together with thoughts. Brain disorder of schizophrenia prevents them from doing it. So it's kind of like they don't have what they need to be relational with their kids. And so you grew up really having a deficit in your own life. And um, I know that that probably created extra resentment and defensiveness in terms of relationships when they got difficult. Now, I want to ask you, when you're in defense mode, how does the other person normally react? 
Um, normally when I'm in defense mode, the other person's reaction um, is defensive as well. You know, it's it's normally uh, not not pleasant. It's not welcoming because they sense the defense on my end. And I believe that, you know, when you're in defense mode, the the signal gets to the other person is not trusted. So if a person feels like you don't trust them, then they don't want to trust you. So there's no there's no room for intimacy there. There's no room for vulnerability. And everybody's going to be on guard. Well, that makes sense. In, in some ways, your defensiveness or her defensiveness um, ends up being the perfect storm for more disconnection. And, you know, many people feel like one of the best ways to combat defensiveness is to initially, as you said, really look at why am I feeling defensive? It's, it's kind of an awareness. And, and what does that say about me? I mean, almost any feeling somebody goes through um, can be auto-corrected, if you will, by saying, what is the message this is sending me about me? And so Mm -hmm. if you have a a wife or a partner who doesn't trust that you're really in the area that you're in, what would you believe that would say about you? I am what? What? Um, so if I had a wife or a partner that didn't believe, um, that I was in the area that I say I'm in, um, my norm, my first reaction would be, um, obviously defensiveness, uh, in my brain. Um, but I've been working on defensiveness. So I would, I would ask myself, you know, is this true? Um, also, does she have a right to feel this way? And, what have I done in the past that makes her question that I am who I say I am now? Um, so when I, I can process these things, then I can look at the situation with a lot of empathy and grace for what she's um, assuming. Hmm. And you, you keep using the word empathy, and, and you and I both know that empathy is so important. It's obviously putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And right before you came on the call, I said that, you know, staying out of that shame cycle is about reminding yourself that this is a consequence of your past, but that you are not your past. You are now in the present and you're in good recovery. Um, And so empathy, you know, isn't something that addicts just have normally. They almost have to learn it. Do you have any good readings for empathy? Um, I would say uh, John Eldridge has a book that um, mm-hmm. that that has. Ah, I can't remember the title. Actually, you know what? I don't know the author, but I was reading a book called The Wounded Heart. It helps you understand the wounds of uh, people, and it helps you understand their woundedness, and it gives you a lot of different reasons and and, um, examples of why a person feels, and it really dissects down kind of like the thought process. 
and the behavior of people mm. as a result of woundedness. I love that. Yeah, um, it's called understanding the wounded heart. Okay. That's always good to know. And, you know, any of Brene Brown's books are really excellent on empathy and and vulnerability and shame and and really gets to the defensiveness. Um, you know, one of the things that she talks about is that that it is natural, normal, and to when somebody challenges you and puts you down or or doesn't believe in you, that it's very easy to want to go, hey, well, you're not that great yourself. I mean, you were late 15 minutes last time we got together, and who do you think you are? You've got a lot of flaws yourself, and kind of go into that defensiveness. And mm-hmm. she says she's constantly having to stop herself and say, whoa, you know, how is this going to better my relationship? And, I mean, that's why you're talking about defensiveness right now, because it really does impact intimacy. So tell me, how do you believe that defensive mode um, affects intimacy with a partner? Uh, Well, it kills the intimacy um, in the relationship because it creates a wall between you and the person that you care about that says, I'm going to stay on this side so you can't hurt me. And um, actually, that you speak of Brene Brown, uh, I love that, that she always challenges herself um, in public about those things and understands that, you know, she still challenges with them too. Uh, a guy on her podcast she had, I can't remember his name, but he was saying that um, when I protect me, when I protect um, me from you, there can be no us. And that really resonated with me as far as defensiveness goes. Yeah, I like that. So would you repeat that one more time? Um, he when said, I when protect- I protect yeah, when I protect me from you, there can be no us. And that's that's really true. You know, when you're in defense mode and she, she's in defense mode, um, there's not going to be any intimacy. There's not going to be an us because it's going to be me on my side and her on her side. There's never going to be any coming together because of the fear of someone being hurt. And it really does. It, it tears the us apart. Um and so that's, that's an easy quote to remember, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, what does intimacy mean for you, Andre? Uh, intimacy means um, a lot. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it before recovery. I thought it was just sexual, but intimacy means letting, letting people in, you know, inside of all your securities, you know, that bubble that you keep protected from, from other everybody else because you fear that people will reject you. Uh, intimacy is letting someone in on that, you know, letting someone in on your thoughts. You know, um, if you're scared of um, of pickles because, you know, you got bullied as a kid and people threw pickles at you, you know, letting someone in on that and not thinking like, hey, that was when I was younger. Someone will think I'm crazy for still thinking that. Letting people in on those insecurities and trusting that they'll, have your best interest and and provide you with um, safety and security. Mm, That makes total sense. Um, And so do you think that a sex addict in good recovery still can get defensive? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I, I won't say it will be as bad as, uh, in active addiction, but depending on the, the accountability that they have and the type of recovery, uh, sex addict is definitely capable of getting defensive because, um, we, because of the constant maintenance that we have to do to maintain sobriety, you know, there's already a struggle that exists within us just in that. Um, and when you have someone who is in recovery and sober and working a good program, when they get confronted with something related to their past behaviors, that's not true. It reminds them of that pain related to those behaviors. It can easily make someone feel like they have to um, defend who they are now instead of accepting the truth that even though what they have been confronted with isn't true, when we are in active, you know, when we were in active addiction, we didn't even know what we were capable of doing. Yeah, no kidding. You know, one of the things that I know about you is that you are an avid reader and you really are a support seeker. Uh, you go to Men of the Battle, you go to 12-step meetings, you got a good sponsor. Why do you think that's so important to do that transformational work that Patrick Carnes talks about to, to be the best person you can be? Um, because it helps it helps you become relatable and it helps other people relate to you. It um, it really gives you a lot of validation, a lot of accountability. Um, you're not going to have men who dismiss or downplay uh, the 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 craziness that you think of. You know, even when you're wrong, they're not going to downplay the emotions that you have behind your crazy thinking, um, and they're going to validate a lot of your crazy thoughts and a lot of your crazy behaviors because they've been there, and even if they can't exactly relate to what you're going through, they can relate to the emotions behind what you're going through. And just to have that type of support uh, makes other men not feel alone and makes other men feel accepted and wanted and loved uh, no matter where they're at in life. Um, so I think having that type of accountability helps a lot. Well, I would agree 100%, and you certainly have come such a long way in your recovery. Um, do you believe that that mentoring, that sponsorship that you've been a recipient of uh, changes when you end up doing the sponsoring and doing the mentoring? Um, does it change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it it actually, you know, it passes down because I know that my sponsor had to have a really hard, <laughs> a really hard sponsor who challenges him, challenged him a lot, um, and he passed that down to him. And then my sponsor challenges me a lot. You know, there there were a lot of times where I wanted to give up uh, <clears throat> in recovery and relationally, and he challenged me to to be a man of integrity and be a man of um, courage and lean in. So now I'm able to pass that down to my sponsees and, you know, they hate me for it, which I hated my sponsor for it because I didn't feel like he was on my side or he had my best interest sometimes. But now that I've grown, I see that he was just challenging me in areas that I was scared to go to. Absolutely. And, you know, I believe in these um, 10 recovery tools that will help men get uh, good recovery, and and they are going to meetings, whether that be religious meetings, 12-step uh, uh, meetings, but just 
being part of a fellowship is so important. And then, of course, having um, a good sponsor or mentor. And then reading the book that advocates the program and doing the 12-step work. And last but not least, for the first five, it's having fellowship. Now, how often would you say that you text or call people in the program? Uh, quite frequently uh, because, you know, there's, there's going to be days where, you know, even though nothing may be going on at home or any conflict at home, just, you know, the addict comes up or just emotionally I may reflect back on the past or, you know, we have bad days sometimes. So, you know, I, I normally reach out a, a lot, you know, even when I'm doing good, you know, because I always want to be aware of my emotions, good and bad. I don't just want to reach out when I'm having a bad time because then that way I'll I'll be in denial of the bad, the good stuff, and I don't want to be in denial of any emotions. Um, I'd say at least once a day I reach out to at least one or more people. Yeah, that's amazing. And I always tell the men that I work with, okay, not only reach out to give them some support, but also reach out when you need some support. And so, obviously, do you ever reach out to the guys when you're finding yourself being defensive? Yeah, definitely. Um I, I reach out a lot, and uh, just just this week in one of my, because I'm going through another workshop, and we're uh, dealing with uh, resentments, and I reached out and, you know, explained to them what was going on with me, and, you know, I knew they were going to hold me accountable, um, but I just wanted feedback, you know. I knew I was wrong, but I wanted a different perspective outside of what I was thinking. So, um, yeah, I reached out, and um, I, I always reach out for help because I know that, if I stay inside my own thoughts, it, it can lead to all type of crazy things. Well, and, and what I know about you is that you have really done a great job, a great job of staying connected with those first five tools. And it has really helped you to manage your emotions. Now, let me ask, um, obviously, the other five are going to a therapy group for sex addicts and going to a CSAT, somebody who understands sexual addiction, and praying, meditating, or um, journaling, followed by having accountability tools, that GPS you were talking about earlier, and then just reading about addiction in general. So how many of the five do you do on the other side? Um, I do those pretty much daily. It's it's pretty much into my uh my daily routine, you know, and even when I uh even when I, I you know, I slack off on just reading uh recovery material, you know, I have to go to a meeting that day and you know, obviously it's recovery literature there and it's it's guys um talking recovery. Hmm. Good point. So as we begin to wrap up the show Andre, is there anything else that you want to share about defensiveness and um, sexual addiction recovery? Uh, I just wanted to talk about defensiveness today because, you know, I see a lot of couples experiencing this also in just relationships in general. Um, 
it's something I've noticed with myself and sometimes people I'm close to. And I see how it can easily escalate a normal conversation into a full-fledged argument that can even end marriages, relationships, or friendships. And uh, based mm-hmm. on my experience for myself and guys in the fellowship, I see guys um, feeling the need to be defensive when they are in denial about something, or I see guys feeling the need to be defensive when they are trying to defend the way people see them. Um, because there's an ideal self, which is, you know, where we are trying to head and grow into the person we would like to be. Then there's an old self, the person um, we were before and that we've grown from. And there's reality self, I feel. And, and that's the person that's right in the middle of both old self and ideal self. Um, hopefully, you know, reality self is driving towards ideal self, though. And sometimes people can have opinions about something you've done or said, and they try to put you back in the old self category. And um, sometimes you can be living in ideal self category for so long, you don't even realize that's a fantasy. And you become denial, and, and it keeps you from acknowledging that you aren't there yet. And when someone challenges you on the fact that you are in reality self, um, it, it begins to be disappointing and anger and self-doubt. So <clears throat> for me, I feel like that has a lot to do with defensiveness because there's all those feelings and all those ideas going on. Yeah, that that was a good way to put it. And I, you know, I just so appreciate you giving back like this and sharing your thoughts on defensiveness. I want to get back together with you later in the um, fall and we'll do a show on resentment because, you know, resentment is a big topic too. But Andre, thank you so much for helping our listening audience understand more about defensiveness and how it can contaminate the progress you're making in recovery. Really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me and, um, you know, giving me this platform to share how I feel and, you know, hopefully help someone else. Um, It's always a joy. Yeah, it's what life's about, right? Definitely, definitely. All right, you make it a good day, Andre. We'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye. So, again, that's a man that just wants to give back and is doing a great job of uh, doing it in lots of different ways. Well, thank you so much for sharing this time with me, and uh, I will look forward to seeing you again next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And there will only be one of you at all times so fearlessly the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one.